I'm a huge fan of the Olympic Games. I love seeing people do amazing things, whether it's riding a bike for six hours at incredible speeds up Mount Fuji, flying up and down a pool or flipping end over end across a floor in a gymnasium. These people demonstrate a level of physical ability that inspires me. Perhaps I should also admit it causes me a little bit of envy. Olympians pursue excellence with incredible focus. Every movement, every decision, every bit of expended energy is calculated and executed in exactly the right moment. Perhaps the clearest example is gymnastics. If you do everything right, it is possible to get a perfect score, at least in most disciplines. Well, this is the third week in our series discussing the counterfeit pursuits of life, and we're going to talk about perfection. Yeah, perfection is a counterfeit pursuit. Perfection holds out this false promise of happiness and satisfaction when we get it right, when we achieve our goals, when our kids are all brilliant, when our scores are all perfect, when our business is always booming, but it's a false promise, an empty one, surprisingly unfulfilling. But wait, you say, what about those Olympians, those heroes? They pursue perfection, right? They seem to be doing okay. Well, no. The vast majority of Olympians pursue excellence, not perfection. There is a vast difference. So before we go any further, let me talk about what it looks like to be a person who pursues perfection. What does it look like to have a perfectionist tendency? And how is that different to striving for excellence? Well, here are the signs of perfectionism. And I wonder if any of these things sound a little bit familiar to you. Or maybe they sound familiar in someone you know. Maybe this is one of those messages you'll be handing around to friends or sending links to to say, I think this is about you. And perhaps they'll send it back. Well, Let's firstly say, the first thing I want to talk about is, in perfectionist thinking is absolute thinking. An Olympic athlete faces failure all the time. They are super high achievers, but they don't always get perfect scores. And one of the reasons top athletes succeed is that they can be satisfied with excellence. They can do something amazing, and even if it isn't perfect, even if they don't reach their personal best, they can be content and carry on. Perfectionists, on the other hand, tend to set high goals, they work hard towards them, but they tend to have a more absolute, an all-or-nothing mindset. If they don't achieve their goals every time, if they don't colour inside the lines perfectly, they'll write it off completely as a failure, and they're more likely to sink into a depressive state, to disconnect or to give up altogether. Also, because of this absolute thinking, perfectionism tends to focus on the end goal more than the game itself. People become fixated on the goal, so fixated on the goal, that they don't see the game happening around them. In a soccer, if a person gets fixated on a goal, but they lose focus on the whole game, they lose focus on where the ball is or where all the other players are, chances are they'll never score a goal, right? Perfectionists also tend to be more critical. If you know someone who is overly critical, then they're probably a bit of a perfectionist. But you also have to remember that they are far more critical of themselves than they are of others. Author and coach Bev James writes, Perfectionists live under the watchful eye of the biggest critics, the pushiest taskmasters, and the most aggressive standard setters themselves. 
So because a less than perfect performance is so painful, so scary to perfectionists, they tend to take a very defensive posture towards constructive criticism. This is different to someone who's pursuing excellence, an Olympian, for instance. These people are able to see criticism as valuable information to help their future performance, and it does. Not so with perfectionists. Perfectionism then also leads to a tendency to blame people, to find some way to lay the imperfect performance at someone else's feet. So usually when you find someone who spends a lot of time pointing fingers of blame for, to others for things rather than taking responsibility themselves, you found a perfectionist. Now here's something else that's interesting that you should know about perfectionist thinking. Sometimes a perfectionist is going to be the laziest person you know. It's backwards, right? It seems paradoxical that perfectionists would be prone to procrastination because procrastination is detrimental to productivity. But perfectionism and procrastination go hand in hand. And this is because perfectionists will sometimes worry so much about doing something imperfectly that they become immobilized and fail to do anything at all. Can anyone relate to this? This is my preferred expression of perfectionist tendency. I know in my messenger comment, I pointed out that because of my tendency to be a perfectionist in, in coloring in, I no longer do that at all. I refuse to play. And if I don't play, then I don't fail. That might work for some hobbies or activities, but it doesn't work for life overall in every situation. Last time I recorded a sermon a couple of weeks ago, I got a lot of good feedback. I had a lot of good conversations with people talking through some of the things that I talked about, but one person made a tiny comment at the end of their email and said something like, uh, your tie wasn't done up properly and it bugged me the whole time I was listening to you. Now, I want to say first that that might be the reason I'm not wearing a tie today. But also, if you noticed that my tie wasn't done up properly, you're more observant than Rebecca, who didn't say anything to me at all during the recording. So I blame her. It's her fault. My part in it was perfect. <laughs> I could have looked in the mirror, I'd admit. Well, we aren't going to get, uh, get it all right all the time. The pursuit of excellence is a false one. Uh, sorry, the pursuit of perfection is a false one. So perhaps you've seen something of yourself in these descriptions. Maybe not all of it. Maybe you're not a full-blown, hyper-controlling, super-sociopathic perfectionist. But I hope you can see that those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors exist in a lot of areas of life. I hope you can also see that the pursuit of perfection is a counterfeit, false, and empty pursuit. It leads to incredibly frustrating and painful patterns of thinking. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when we become aware of these patterns of thinking? What do we do if the Holy Spirit shows us events and times in our lives when we've tended to think like this? Times when we've set unrealistic standards, been critical, been driven by fear, procrastinated and been tempted to give up on ourselves. First thing to realize is that the problem at its basic core is a spiritual one. It has its roots in shame and fear. Brene Brown wrote, when perfectionism is driving us, shame is riding shotgun and fear is the annoying backseat driver. 
Shame is one of the most primitive emotions we can feel and is defined like this. The intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And this is it, right? There's some conscious belief that if we're not perfect, then we're flawed. And if we're flawed, then we won't be worthy of love and belonging. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus himself says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Hmm. Okay, so I've just spent a good 10 minutes describing the pursuit of perfection as a pointless, counterfeit pursuit. And then we have the words of Jesus where he clearly says, be perfect. Anyone confused yet? Sometimes it's important to remember that Jesus spoke Aramaic. The words have been translated into Greek and then into English. And those original words are not as clear as they sound to our ears. If you read a lot of different English translations and paraphrases of the Bible, you'll see that they seem to say slightly different things because Jesus' original message was difficult to translate into English. So look at how the message version translates this verse. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. That's pretty different, isn't it? How did Eugene Peterson get from be perfect to live out your God-created identity? Well, to understand, we look at this word perfect. In Greek, the word is teleos, which means having reached its end, complete, perfect. In other places in the Bible, the word has been translated as maturity, uh, completeness, or fullness. Here it is in Colossians. For in Christ, all the fullness, teleos, of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. So, we then understand what Jesus meant when he says, be perfect. He means to live out a God-created identity. Live out your God-given, God-won identity, not your primitive human perfectionist shame and fear-driven identity. As we so often do, let's look to Paul, whose writings explain for us a lot about what Jesus said. Paul talked a lot about perfectionism and identity in Romans chapter 3, and I would encourage you to read that in its entirety. For now, let's have a look at Romans 3 verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law shows us how sinful we are. So straight up, Paul wants us to understand that we are not perfect. Not only are we not perfect at sport or colouring in, not perfect at gymnastics, not perfect at tying our ties, we are just not perfect people. The laws of God, the laws of good sense, the laws of common decency and all sorts of laws all of them show us how imperfect or how sinful we are. So Paul knows where we are coming from. He knows that we are imperfect and we are prone to perfectionist thinking. So he continues, he says in verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for anyone and everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So we're imperfect, but we can be completed, matured, perfected by 
placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? We believe that God loves you, okay? So much that he came to earth as Jesus Christ and died for you. So when we say placing your faith in Jesus Christ, it means coming to a point where you actually really deep down believe that Jesus did this for you. Because if you really have that faith, if you really believe the God of the universe did this for you, then perfectionism dissolves into dust. Because suddenly the fear that you're not worthy, unless you do something perfectly, is gone. The fear that you are flawed and unworthy of love and attention is undone. Every mistake, every misstep you ever make will, be, will never undo what God did. The proof that he offers love is that he showed it. If you're living a perfectionist mindset, it's all about what you do, right? But if you live in the faith identity, then it's about what God did. If you pursue perfection, it's about you. But if you pursue faith, this faith that Paul is talking about, it's about Jesus. If you pursue perfection to earn the love of God, then I hate to say it, but you're discrediting, dismissing, and dishonoring the sacrifice that he already made. So chill out. Chill out. Jesus has taken the pressure off. Chill out and do what Jesus suggested. In a word, what I'm saying is this, he says, grow up, your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. When you let go of your perfectionist tendencies, your perfectionist thinking, you have a renewed capacity to live generously and graciously towards other people. In Luke 10, we have the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they have Jesus over for dinner one day. And Martha gets upset because she's bustling around trying to get everything ready. And Mary's not helping. Mary is sitting listening to Jesus. Like most sisters, I guess, she isn't listening to Martha. So Martha asks Jesus to tell Mary to come and help her get dinner ready. But Jesus says to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it and are we not taken away from her? And Jesus says, choose relationship over perfection. I don't know what your house is like when you have visitors coming over, but as core officers, as spiritual leaders, etc., we always wanted our house to be worthy of holy scrutiny for any of our visitors. And we used to be quite manic before we would have guests over. I remember early on, our daughters were just babies. We'd have to have church leadership team meetings at our house. And we would spend hours and hours scrubbing and dusting and vacuuming and polishing. It was exhausting. We felt the pressure to be perfect. We just thank God that Pinterest and Instagram didn't exist back then. And the problem was then, pretty quickly, that we began to resent having people over. We began to resent the relationships. We stopped even having friends over because we didn't have the energy to be perfect. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You just can't have people over because you've got to be perfect and you don't have the time. I want to say that perfectionism can ruin your life. You might be, perfectionism might be covering your deepest fears. 
You might fear inadequacy, rejection or intimacy. But I pray that as we've spoken about this today, that you might have seen some of the aspects and areas of your life that may be affected. Well, you may be prone to perfectionist thinking. I encourage you to spend some time thinking and praying about perfectionism and to ask God to reveal those areas to you where you tend to pursue perfection over excellence and to reassure you that it's okay to be imperfect. Perfection is not required, just love. God bless you each.